Welcome back to the Everybody Soccer Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Reno. Uh, after a long absence, we return with soccer historian Steve Holroyd. Uh, Steve is a part of the SASH, the Society for American Soccer History. And recently, the Soccer Hall of Fame opened in Frisco, Texas, which Steve and the rest of SASH uh, went out there on this opening weekend and uh, presented various presentations from some of the members. And um, Steve himself talked about the NSL college drafts and how they weren't really great at Americanizing the game. So we referenced that a few times in conversation here, and he's made that paper public, and I'll link that on my site for anyone that wants to read it. It'll be under the podcast section. Uh, that paper will be there in full. Uh, but we don't discuss goalkeeping too often in this podcast. Uh, I've always really found American soccer history really interesting, so that's kind of what we're talking about today, um, especially with how it's treated in the media. It seems like oh, there's a lot of focus on the 1950 World Cup, and then everything after 1989, but not so much outside of that. So I um, really enjoyed talking to Steve about this and getting to pick his brain on past and present uh, U.S. soccer history and how that kind of intertwines and where there's some kind of holes and things aren't uh, viewed as highly as they should be. And uh, getting to talk about the Hall of Fame and about that voting process and the presentation, just kind of everything U.S. soccer history. It was a really, really great joy to having him on the podcast here. So uh, for anyone like myself that has just a random soccer question, uh, Steve is a really great asset for that. You can find him on Twitter at Soccer Maverin, that's Soccer M-A-B-N. Uh, and if you have any random questions, like I said, you can shoot to him. There's a good chance he'll probably know the answer. Some guy was coming up with the bank, and he said he was from Detroit, and uh, he was asking about the winners here. I was like, oh, they're awful. You know, they it's in like the 40s, 50s, the entire – oh, wait. Well, that actually would be pretty good for you. <laughs> so we uh, we don't handle, handle the winners down here too well. But, um, yeah, I, we, we get just enough – close enough where it's almost snow but it's just kind of miserable you know not quite not quite there but yeah yeah that's what was this weekend it was, it was rainy and gray yeah. Uh, yeah. On, on, on Thursday and Friday it got a little better Saturday you know and of course as I'm leaving it comes out on Sunday so yeah yeah that sounds about but right but it never really warmed up yes yeah <laughs> that sounds about right that sounds about right well tell me about uh, tell me about your weekend here uh, I mean I you were kind of all over the place with a couple of different things. So, um, yeah, just, I, I know the, the Hall of Fame hasn't been open to the public just yet, um, but I'm really curious about someone who's already walked through the whole thing of what things stood out for me from the weekend. Yeah, there were a series of soft openings, and, um, it, you know, it, it, it was nice once you realize that this is not your father's Hall of Fame. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, and, 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 and Jim Trecker, who was, uh, I guess, the individual primarily responsible, he's the curator, I guess is his title. He had told us this back in January when we had a sash meeting at the coaches convention. He said, look, you know, I like museums too. I'm old like a lot of you guys, but museums are dead. Okay, <laughs> so this is not, this is not Cooperstown. It's not Canton. And so what you get is, uh, the phrase I've been using over the weekend was like a glorified mall kiosk. And that's <laughs> probably a bit, probably a bit harsh, but really what it is, is it's a series of freestanding exhibit boxes. Huh. You know? yeah. and, and, and by design, they are very open and airy. They're not loaded with stuff. You know, they, they've won the NASL um, exhibit has you know about eight shirts total, and, and and that's all. They're not. It's not like they're cramming on the floor. They say, "Oh, here's a medal, and here's this, and here's that." Yeah. It's very open, uh, and that's by design um, uh, because they, they're looking for that. You know, again, keeping in mind it's attached to the stadium. Um, 
they're, they're, just, they're basically just looking for, for a curious walk-up crowd. Just sort of walk in, get, get acquainted, and then leave. Hmm. You know? yeah. some, of the, some of the best trophies were housed in the cafeteria part. Huh. Of, the, of that Hall of Fame. So it's not, it, you know, they're calling it a Hall of Fame, uh, and it's, it's not really what it is. I mean, it really is just, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's, I mean, I, I, a fair example would be it's not much different than probably what every established team has in their arena or stadium. Just, you know, one section of the stadium where you can walk by a couple of glass cases with, uh, with old jerseys and stuff. Yeah. But, but, and so, but I don't say that as a criticism. And the reality is, if there was no baseball Hall of Fame and they were opening it today, one, they wouldn't build it in Cooperstown, and two, <laughs> they wouldn't look anything like Cooperstown. It would probably look mostly like the hall we have now. Well, I, that's interesting you bring that up because I've always wondered with, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this where it doesn't sound stupid, but I've, I've always wondered with uh, American soccer history, it's it feels like it's such a different animal and it's treated so differently than really every other sport. So I guess baseball is like kind of the pinnacle in some ways. But like, you know, American soccer history, you know, the Hall of Fames is like, you know, probably a good, good notable difference here. So... Um, I guess I'm curious, as someone who's walked through it, how does the Hall of Fame uh, contribute towards American soccer history of a thing that's, uh, you know, th there's some like dark spots in there of, you know, there just wasn't a whole lot going on in this decade or so. Um, I guess it makes it sound, you make it sound like it has a pretty positive contribution. Yes, it did an excellent job. I mean, it, because to touch upon the point you made earlier, I think one reason why American soccer history gets treated so differently, even you know, baseball, as you said, it, it's, it's kind of an outlier. It's so historic. But even even football and, and basketball and hockey is that you know, it, it, basically Don Garber was right. We don't have 100 years of history, and I know you know the pro row brigade. A lot of people get upset by that, but I mean I think what Garber meant is the very problem we face. And I touched upon this in one of my podcasts from a long time ago. You know our history is so broken that it's tough to, to maintain any interest because when you talk about the great teams of the past, they're just names, you know. As opposed yeah. to, I remember I had this revelation a couple of years ago watching um, a, a short documentary on the, on the last night of the original Boston Garden. And they brought out all these ex-Bruins, you know, from Milt Schmidt in the 40s to, you know, Eddie Westfall, Johnny Busick, whatever. The players that probably meant absolutely nothing to most of the people in the stands that night, hmm. or maybe names they'd heard just in passing. But everyone cared because they were all wearing the Bruins sweater. There was a connection, hmm. you know. Just like Eddie Shore, when, when you watch Slapshot and, and they make the Eddie Shore joke, people care because you, you do a little bit of research and realize, hey, he's a Boston Bruin, I know that. Whereas all of our great soccer heroes, pre-1996 you know, or so, all featured on teams that no longer exist, by and large. And so and I think that's why our history gets sort of buried, because you can, you can jump up and down and rave about Billy Gonzalez all you want, but when you realize the Fall River Marksmen and the New Bedford Whalers and Six Barrier and Four, all these teams are gone, who cares? That said, the, the Hall did not take that approach, because the other big concern particularly among that, that, that anti-MLS brigade who thinks there's a big conspiracy going on, was that, oh, this is an FC Dallas, it's going to be a shrine to MLS, and it is anything but. Um, it really, it's got Billy Gonzalez's 
ASL uh, trophy, uh, not trophies, but uh, medals from winning titles in yeah. 26, 27. Hmm. It's got uh, Open Cup medals. It's got uh, it's got a lot of the, uh, the uh, second version of the ASL stuff, uh, you know, shirt, all-star programs, things like that. Plenty of ASL coverage. It, it, it does, given the, given the fact that American, particularly professional American soccer history is, is largely a series of failures, um, it did a nice job of not harping on that and instead pointing out, look, yeah, we've had Pele here, look at these teams, look at this wonderful uh, kid from the Caribou of Colorado, which everyone can point to and laugh at. Um, <laughs> and they, they covered it all. They, they covered it all. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's the type of thing that, you know, I, I would hope wets people's appetite for American soccer. In fact, one of the phrases, it's rather been a metaphor, but it was all I had in mind at the time, was, you know, I was talking to my sash my society for american soccer history colleagues was hey you know this this mall kiosk if you will it's a gateway it's a gateway drug it's get people interested and now <laughs> yeah. and, and so so now we need to start producing the heroin <laughs> terrible terrible now <laughs> yeah. if people want to go deeper that's where uh, i think my group has to step up and really start getting the rest of the story to quote what was it uh, harvey i forget his first name paul harvey to, to get the rest of the story out there yeah well you it's interesting you bring up sash um i because i'm curious of it's someone who's in there i guess you can't be too critical of it but how successful have y'all been are y'all being how optimistic are you about moving forward about making american soccer history um not only engaging but even just more relevant more 
academic kind of pieces. I mean, the big theme over the weekend, there was a, you know, about six or nine presentations, and they were all accompanied by a paper, which will be um, virtually bound, you know, for PDF download in something called the SASH. I guess it will be the SASH Volume 1. And so it will be papers with footnotes and endnotes and stats just to, just to bring a more intellectual level to discussion uh, with the hope being that, you know, if we... If we can make this, if we can make this relevant history-wise, if we can't make it relevant soccer-wise, maybe we can make it relevant history-wise. You know, as part of the American experience or something like that, it'll you know it'll bump up interest. And I think, as as with any uh, goal like that, you're going with the rising tides approach. I mean, if if enough people are interested in the serious stuff, there might be enough people interested in the casual stuff. And I think the SASH site. We'll make sure it also has the shorter anecdotal, isn't as interesting kind of articles that are that are up there now. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it, it's the hope that I think ultimately is, if nothing else, the whole thing is going to introduce to a lot of people that we do in fact have history. I mean, up until um, this place opens next week, uh, there's literally no place on anyone's you know um, map. That you go to to see any of this stuff. I mean, with all due respect to the old hall, it was in Oneonta. Yeah. Who's yeah. making that trip? You know, I never did. <laughs> Frankly, I'm not one of the most interested people in the world. I never made that trip. It's too far <laughs> away. Yeah, there's nothing else around there. With all due respect to the charming city of Oneonta. Um, <laughs> uh, now that's going to be fixed. I mean, you know, there's going to be plenty of SC Dallas fans there. Traveling fans can go through. You know, Frisco's enough of a destination between youth tournaments and things like that. And now people will see it. So now maybe the people have seen it, again, to use that gateway analogy again, it'll bump up the interest in the hardcore history, and then SASH can start being a little more relevant. I mean, it's been around since 1994, at least according to some of the uh, governing documents we, we uh, uh, amended over the uh, weekend. And, you know, uh, I knew about it, a handful of us on the internet knew about it, but it, it's hardly a household name. Maybe this will be the first step. Yeah, you know, and, uh, I it's funny you bring up the old the old hall because the only thing I, I I never went to and I was always kind of interested like man that seems pretty neat and I just remember the picture on Wikipedia where there's this ginormous soccer ball I mean it's like maybe twenty feet tall and it's just smashing through the wall and I was just like man that I don't know whose idea that was but that's pretty uh, I don't know just like the that's like the one thing I I know about it, is that there was this twenty foot tall soccer ball you know just colliding through the wall but. Um, a lot of times over the weekend, when we're referring to the old hall, people would say the ball. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. <laughs> and apparently, the one before, the hall before that was like uh, virtually an antique store. Good. I mean, so yeah. when, when, it's a shame. When they built the hall, they put a lot of money into building it and making it, a, you know, at least something that was visually appealing. You know? mm, uh, yeah. But it just, when it was on the altar, when it was just the, the you know, again, this is the, the absence of a casual history audience that would say, let's go beyond and Oneonta and take a look at Died on the Vine, which is unfortunate. It wasn't, it wasn't, it had nothing to do with the good work of Jack Huckle and, and, and Roger Alloway and Colin Jones and those guys. It just, hmm. there was no market. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you talked about the rising tide effect of kind of what's going on here, and one thing that had really struck me, and it's probably, I'm trying to think when I did this, maybe like three or four years ago, I kind of got on a kick of, you know, like it, It'd be really interesting to go find some old goalkeepers and talk to them. And so I ended up getting in touch with uh, Victor Gurley and Alan Mayer. Uh, Gurley got like six caps in the 60s. Mayer was was pretty decent in the NESL. I, I think he won NESL Player of the Year. Um, 
and I really enjoyed talking to both of them. But one thing that really struck me with one was kind of how easy it was. <laughs> like there, I, there's something that was kind of funny to me of just like they were like, oh yeah, okay, I'll talk to someone. They, you know, there wasn't any real barrier about it. But then also two, there wasn't any real sense from them that they had really achieved something. You know, I I felt like and maybe that's just the the type of personality they have. But I, you know, for someone that had played for the national team you know, today, if you talk to them, you could get a, probably a little sense of a, you know, accomplishment and pride. But, you know, Victor Gurley playing in the 60s when, you know, what was the most the U.S. national team amounted to then? Like, I don't, I have no clue. And so talking to him then, like, you know, he was just like, yeah, I did it, you know. And, <laughs> you know, it's a, he started telling me a little bit more about his, like, handball career because I think he went as, like, an alternate for the Olympics or, or something. And um, I just thought that was so odd of, you know, their their history was, even to themselves, it was kind of almost like a shrug of it. But, um, you know, I just feel yeah, like... You're not, you're not wrong. It's funny. Over the weekend, you know, a lot of, uh, if I could even name themselves, you know, the, a lot of the played and stayed brigade, which is what a lot of the far guys call themselves, <laughs> you know, they, they seem much more inclined to have a sense of accomplishment because, uh, you, know, they, you know, if you talk to them long enough... They will tell you, and not in as arrogant as, 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 as I'm paraphrasing, but they'll tell you, yeah, the game made it today because of us. You know, we stay, we, we pull over to any uh, piece of grass, start kicking the ball around, people will come and watch that, We'd, we would explain it to them, mm-hmm. and, you know, we made it happen because, let's face it, you know, basically, they're saying, because you Yanks had the chance, you didn't do it, you know? Yeah. And, and so, you know, the foreign guys feel like they've done something. You're right, as opposed to a lot of these American guys, it's either, well, you know, I was a minority player in my own country in a niche sport, I had some fun, but, you know, nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, nothing I did brought MLS. People cared about play. No one cared about Alan Mayer having a great indoor career. Right, right. <laughs> I, can, I can see a combination of humility, a combination of perhaps feeling that, you know, somehow we failed, or a sense of bitterness. I mean, I'm not going to name any names, but I was talking to one of the few Americans who attended the uh, NESL reunion part of the uh, festivities in Frisco this weekend, and, and he was explaining, uh, look, you know, a lot of Americans haven't come out because there's still a fair amount of bitterness. I mean, none of these guys wanted to give us a chance to play. Hmm. And, and now they want us to come to the reunion, you know, to, where we'll honor their past glories. You know, and, uh, in fact, even today, notwithstanding my, uh, my uh, self-imposed soccer exile, <laughs> in anticipation of the 40th anniversary of the 1979 NASL strike, uh, the labor lawyer in me wanted to uh, uh, figure out write an article about that. And uh, grabbing some newspaper articles was a problem then. You know, where the union's fighting, the league is trying to increase the number of visas, and, and the players in the league are like, no, no, I mean, this, this, is, this is a job opportunity for us. <laughs> why, yeah. why not let us play? You know, and, and of course, in the course of that strike, there was a real rift between foreign players and domestic players. And so, uh, you know, I, and that might be the other part, not so much that I didn't accomplish anything, but, you know, I never really got a chance to do anything. I know that wouldn't apply to Alan Mayer, a great indoor career, and was, in some of the contemporary articles I've read, was routinely uh, cited even by foreigners as the best of the American-born goalkeepers. Mm. But, you know, he probably feels it good. At the end of the day, what did he get me? I made a little money. And yeah. I am, 
you know, the gym teacher somewhere or where yeah, he yeah. does it. Uh, so, yeah, I, I could see them feeling like, you know, I went to school with guys who played Major League Baseball. You know, what did I do? So, yeah, yeah. It's unfortunate. And maybe they'll feel a little better about themselves when complete strangers like you and I start <laughs> talking about them and writing about them, right? Yeah. Giving them the, the, the respect uh, that they do. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm. I'm kind of curious, and I guess transition a little bit towards the, um, you know, we talked a little bit about like growing history, but I guess I'm curious of how serious the hall has taken itself over the years. Cause you, you go back in and you look at, and we've talked a little about this in the past of one, the, the amount of builders that are in, it, like it was only until recently that there were more players and builders, but also to kind of the selection process of it, is it, it's just always struck me as odd like the inducting the entire 1950 world cup team like for winning one game always seemed kind of like a weird standard for you know and in dealing with national team you know how important that was and what time periods and um and so i, I guess i'm curious of where, where do you see the hall of fame process the the election process going as far as getting players in because now it seems like it's swung so heavily towards, well, if you didn't do anything on the national team, uh, really on the men's national team, then you're kind of irrelevant. Like, Brianna Scurry is probably the best example for me of, I think it took her four years to get in, despite being the premier goalkeeper in the world. Um, so so do you get that sense, too, of it seems like things have gotten a little bit more serious and things have really kind of shifted a different direction than it was originally? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's been a slow process, and, and I've said a bunch of times, I mean, if I, if I had my way, I would, um, uh, the, yeah, I'm just blown up and ignored the original hall. Like, you know, <laughs> we're going to start all over. Yeah. And, and that's because, you know, I think when, it, when it, it evolved out of here in Philly, and I think 1950 was its first year, it originally was intended to be a Hall of Fame the way we expect it to be. But, you know, American soccer being what it is, it quickly devolved into... Um, uh, a situation where it was all administrators scratching one another's back. Hey, you nominate me this year. I'll nominate you next year. We'll both get in. And, and people forgot players. And of course, one reason why players are being forgotten is Roger Alloway, who was who is largely responsible for even fixing it to where it's at now. And even he admits there's some flaws. But when he got involved heavily, uh, essentially taking over for Colin Jonas, he had said, he goes, look, you know, we don't have players in here. And, and one reason for that is. Uh, apparently, under the old rules, you had to be nominated by a state association. Hmm. And so he said, "Yeah, Walter Barr got nominated. Walter Barr got it in '76, which is the year they nominated the entire 1950. They put in the entire 1950 team, as you said. It was like 18 years after he stopped playing. Hmm. You know, and, and and I asked why was that. He said, no state would nominate him, not even Pennsylvania." So, it almost got to be like a hostage situation. So, and, and meanwhile, people like Alex McNabb, who was a tremendous influential star in the 1920s ASL, and even into the 30s when he migrated to St. Louis and brought a lot of ASL, uh, ASL stars with him, like Gonzalez and Bert Patnati, uh, you know, it just got forgotten because since he belonged to no one, well, he's from Scotland. He didn't come up through my youth club. I don't want him. He couldn't get a nomination. So back in 98 or so, you know, Roger's first attempt was, okay, look, we have to have certain criteria for the professional. We're not, we're not going to do this state nomination stuff, but you know, just to sort of winnow it down with the uh, with, with players that have to have X amount of caps 
you know, and this, that, and the other thing. And and initially it served the purpose of okay, we're gonna bring it'll bring players back into the limelight. But what it's become, uh, and even Rogers said, here's what I'm afraid of. It. You know, it's going for, it's going to turn into it's going to evolve from a hall for administrators into it's not going to be the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame. It's going to be the U.S. National the National Team yeah. Soccer Hall of Fame. Uh, the, the the entire indoor era is utterly ignored because of because of the current criteria. Um, uh, and in big chunks of earlier uh, national team uh, players, you know, going into the sixties, going into the fifties, even though the criteria. Uh, as you get older, you need, you need fewer caps. It's still, you know, the, there's, there's no thought about that um, that great ASL player, even if he was foreign, someone who came here and made an actual career here. He wasn't just, you know, a lone player who came and went. Uh, since he never got capped by anybody, he was a good player here. He's going to be forgotten. I'm, I'll use, I'm not saying he's whole worthy, but look at Derek Trevis. Derek Trevis came here with the Adams. Big figure for three years, went on to coach. Now he was a you know a couple All Star teams, couple you know won a championship, and, and he doesn't meet any of the criteria. I'll never get to consider him. Um, Bob Rigby, I get it, may even fall there. I mean, I have these things in front of me. I guess he played enough years, maybe professionally, but uh, you know he didn't get that many caps simply because uh, while he was a perennial considered one of the best goalkeepers in the league, there were so many American keepers yeah. that his, his caps were whittled down. So I think everyone knows, and I think Sash in particular is, is trying to get a more formal role with the whole, almost as like a, a veterans committee, if you will, to, so so we can make sure that uh, all the great players, American and otherwise, of the indoor era, don't, don't get forgotten. That some of these NASL players don't get, don't, get, don't get forgotten as inevitably now we're getting more and more um, uh, MLS players. But yeah, again, the prime example, I mean, the first thing Roger says is we have a hole now where Marco Echeverry is never going to get in. And how can it be? You know, uh, I mean, the guy carried MLS on his back in its early days. Yeah. Genuine star. And, and under the current criteria and selection process, he's never going to get in. Uh, never mind the fact that apparently the, the people who have been deemed worthy of voting don't vote. Right, goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I remember something, I don't think it was this most recent one, but the year before, it was, um, he was some Houston-based reporter, and he had covered the Dynamo for a while, and I think he just does the Astros now, but he was, who was it? Was it Tiffany Milbert that, I mean, he said something about one of the women strikers of like, well... You know, all the stuff she did, it's kind of inflated because they played against inferior competition. And, you know, obviously they did, but that mindset, it, it, there's just, it seems like, one, you've got the issue of people not voting, but then two, people who are voting have their own, you know, there is like some guidelines of like who's even on the ballot, right? But then like, it's kind of left up to them of like, well, like you get to decide if they were, you know, and they use kind of the skewed reasoning and stuff. And so I am... Um, yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I, I mean, what what do you think of moving forward of, like, how do you alleviate that problem? Because I guess I'm curious of, you know, the Jeff Cunningham's of, of MLS that were obviously good players. Like, how, you know, how do you, I guess, alleviate the issue of them being left out? Well, I mean, I, I guess by just getting rid of criteria, you know, and letting the market decide. In baseball, 
I don't even know what baseball's criteria are, but after five years, you're on the ballot. And I can remember looking at some old photo list, even someone like a Howland who was a journeyman shortstop. Um, uh, yeah, if, if, as long as you play next amount of games, uh, hmm. you're on the ballot. And then, you know, the, the people voted. And if you got less than a certain percentage, you're off the ballot. In future years, so you weren't clogging it up forever. Yeah. Uh, I would think now that MLS has been around and it's not going anywhere, it's it's you know, it's been around over twenty years and it's going to be around another hundred. Um, you, you you now have I guess sophisticated soccer media, although we, again in, in, as, as print media is dying. I'm not even sure what that means. <laughs> but yeah. you know, but you, you, you but whether when you want to go with blogs, whatever, you can, you, there's plenty of people who could vote. And so put all the names on there, and you know we'll do our jobs. Don't hand me a list of here's the fifteen people you can vote on this year. No, look, put out a list. And it's no different. There's an indoor hall of fame. By the way, there's, there's an indoor hall of fame right now. It's just a virtual presence. I don't know if there's any uh, intention of uh, putting it in a building like brick and mortar, but or at least uh, there's at least a, a website that's honoring. Um, the, the indoor players, and it's it's an email list of about twenty of us, people like me and Ken Tomash, you know, the so-called historians, a lot of ex-players, ex-coaches, and a list goes out, and we vote. You know, um, there's no winnowing period. There's no, uh, well, how many, all, you know, in lieu of caps, uh, how many all-star teams did you make? No, there's nothing like that. Yeah. The names on the list, and you can tell pretty quickly, you know, whether, uh, you know, I'm picking a poor guy from the Philadelphia Fever, Eddie Sheridan. Okay, he may be on the list, but it's going to be pretty easy to pass him over to someone I'm not going to vote for. I think a lot of people feel the same. Then he's off the next year. Yeah. So, uh, so I don't know why we need this, you know, must be, uh, okay, I can get the three years. Uh, but must 20 international games, uh, five seasons in an American first division professional <laughs> league. That yeah. works out everything pre 96 and post 85. Um, you know, and it's, uh, well, I don't know why we need these things. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and it's a concern as well. You know, it'll be a big list. I mean, maybe the first one will be. Okay. But, uh, but after that, it's, it's, it'll be under control. Uh, and I think it's a lot more fair than uh, dealing with caps because I mean, even with the, with the, the national team, the, the, the national team. I mean, Taylor Tolman's a prime example. The man was a legitimate full stop MLS legend. That, for whatever reasons, you know, it was, it was loaded up top. Coach had a bias against him, or he just one of those guys that you know, there's plenty of them throughout history in all countries who was a domestic fiend but couldn't produce at the international level. Well, all right, that doesn't mean he should be excluded from the hall. I mean, there's a lock hall of famer in my mind, and so uh, hopefully, as this process evolves, and, and again, now that Sash is sort of reincorporated, if you will, and now has a more formal presence, people know we exist, you know, actual bodies attended to Frisco, the people from the hall got to see us, we got to see them, hopefully we'll get a more uh, formal role in the process that even if, even if, fine, the, you know, the press, whatever that may be, gets to vote on the MLS era, that they'll leave the, uh, the, the everything before that to us, and we can make sure that uh, the people who deserve to be honored are being honored. Yeah, well, and it's funny you talk about like having a list of, uh, you know, a long list of names. I think that's in some sense a historian's dream of, like, having so much information in front of, like, yet, yeah, like that's the kind of thing that historians like, right? You know, that like heaven forbid a historian have too much like accountability of, oh, you, you know, like, 
oh, this is too much information for me to deal with. I'm a historian. So it was, I don't know, just kind of a funny idea of like, no, I think they, I think they would be able to handle it, and you know, it would, it would be fine. Uh, I mean, in, in defense of Irvine, I remember I, I was the first to write a nasty post about the 100th anniversary uh, U.S. national team, all-time team, and I think Barr, maybe, no, I don't think anyone over, uh, I don't think anyone before 1990 made the team. Right. And, well, you know, but a lot of it, it's been understood, look, people's memories only go back so far, and we don't have a bevy of statistics to tell us how great Walter Barr was, and we don't have any video. So I get that it's it, you know it's, it's easy for us as historians who've done who've gone a little further to educate ourselves about you know Pete Renzulli and what a great goalkeeper he was in the 1920s or what have you, um, and that the casual even a current beat reporter is so focused on the here and now might not get that. So, I, so I'm, not, I'm not really damning anybody when I say it's terrible that we don't have that there's only like a grand total. Of, five NASL players and, and out of them I think like two are American you know there's like, I think there's more Canadians from the NASL here in our hall than Americans in fact the, hmm. the Canadian author was at the soft opening he's like you've got Bobby Leonard Ducey and Bruce Wilson in your hall I'm like yeah well they're great players at the NASL <laughs> actually Leonard Ducey not so much Wilson was but, <laughs> yeah, but meanwhile I think it's, it's Mauser wrote Myrick and Myrick and, and Bobby Smith and they have run out of American NASL names. Hmm. And the rest are like Pele. Okay, I can see why Pele gets in there. <laughs> I still question Carlos Alberto. I mean, he wasn't that great in the NASL, and he wasn't, you know, a visionary, uh, not visionary, but like, or he wasn't like an ambassador like Pele. Why is he in there? I mean, the fact that he was on the Cosmos that was great for other teams. It, it's, uh, as I said, if I had my drivers, I'd blow the whole thing up and start over <laughs> as far as the players. You know, sure. Hall is fine. As far as who gets in, I'd really like a do over. But that's not going to happen. So sure, the best yeah. we can do is try to fix it going forward. Yeah. Well, yeah. I actually I didn't know that about the lack of American players. That you know, for a hall that's not entirely American centric, but is definitely pushing that way more so now. That seemed kind of like a, a give a gimme of <laughs> you know of, like I I said something about it to my dad who the least soccer informed guy. Um, maybe in America, and he asked us about Kyle Rote Jr. being at the the Hall of Fame weekend, and he knew who that was, you know. And so I just it's kind of funny of I don't know the lack of Americans there, but I guess wow, I didn't I didn't realize that, huh? Hey, it's, not, it's not as low as I said. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. My article this weekend was about the NASL drafts, I, and I was able to point out that only four, uh, only only five people ever drafted made it to the hall, and one doesn't count because it's Tom Ramos. He made it through his international uh, experiences. So it's Alex Rose, Kyle Rode Jr., Bobby Smith, Glenn Myrick, you know, yeah. and, uh, and 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 but that. So that's four right there. But Rick Davis made it because he was poached out of uh, out of uh, college. Uh, uh, Arnie Mauser. Mm. So right off the top of my head, yeah. that's what, six? So that's uh, in, in, from the NASL here. Uh, and even with Rick Davis, as good as he was with the Cosmos, I tend to think he's, he's honored more for his national team experience than his Cosmos work. Mm. And 
So yeah, it, it remains a low number. Whereas you know, Franz Beckenbauer, Pele, Giorgio Tinaya, Carlos Alberto, uh, Alan Willie, who absolutely deserves it uh, out of that group. Um, as opposed to yeah, Beckenbauer's here and great for three years and then left. I mean, uh, Pele was was frankly mediocre here for three years and left, but he's Pele, so we get all excited about it. All right, <laughs> I, he should be the builders. You know, if anything, Pele would be the builders, but that would be insulting, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, and you and I, can, we're not going to bother because we'll be here forever. But you and I just on the top of our heads could probably rattle off about ten, at least ten, other American-born ASL stars who uh, who are worthy of inclusion who aren't even being spoken about. Yeah, yeah. What uh, what? And I guess it's a little bit of a segue here, but when you look back on the hundred years or so of American history, where where is the uncovered? Uh, or the most uncovered area that deserves a little bit more light shine on it? it it's, as a general answer, it's pretty clear that the, the non-D1 eras, and I say D1 in quote, of course, that's a better, better say, the non-major league eras uh, are obviously, uh, they, they tend to be neglected as a, as, as a rule because it's less exciting, you know? Mm. Um, that said, due to the Open Cup primarily, and, and particularly more recent research about the Open Cup, I think that the second ASL uh, is actually, isn't as forgotten. I mean, it's not covered at the same level of the NASL or the original ASL, but thanks to the Open Cup, and, you know, because it tangentially relates to the 1950 World Cup team and things like that, it's, it's not forgotten. So as a result, I think the answer now uh, interestingly enough, it's something we can see, we still have plenty of time to fix because it's in our lifetime. I think the era between NASL and MLS, mm. so basically 85 to 95, uh, you know, so we're talking about the, the third American Soccer League, the Western Soccer Alliance, the, the merged APSL, um, uh, and to a point, the indoor leagues as well. No one's talking about that. And, and, uh, and again, and, and maybe someone should get on that because the people who play in those leagues, they can probably talk about the stories of having to play on bad astroturf and riding buses and all the other stuff. Um, and yeah, how they kept the game alive. And if, if they weren't around at all, World Cup or no World Cup, it probably would have been really tough to get anyone interested in starting MLS. Hmm. Staying, in fact, that was a condition. Um, uh, no one's talking about those leagues. Uh, and so, uh, as it turns out, I think it's the, the, the 10 years between the NESL and MLS is the one where we're just totally annoying at this point. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I'm trying to remember what he said about it exactly, but I remember Alan Mayer said he had gotten a million-dollar contract, and I'm... <sighs> I'm trying to remember if that was in the kind of waning years of NESL or if that was in indoor, because I remember he had talked about... I'll tell you, it would have to be indoor, because NISL was paying good money. Yeah. Like a Tony Bellinger, another American, he had a six-figure, he had a $100,000 a year contract, so that was still real money. Um, and yeah, I think it might have been the Las Vegas Americans signed the mayor as a free agent from... Uh, from uh, San Diego, uh, I guess eighty forty five as a player coach. Yeah. That might have been his big hit. In fact, I came across something today uh, while doing this nineteen seventy nine strike research. I saw a blurb that Hubert Vogelsinger, who was coaching the San Diego Soccer's at the time, wanted to sign free agent Chef Messi, who had coached in Boston a few years before, but had to trade Alan Mayer first. But no one wanted to take on Mayer's seventy thousand dollar year salary. Hmm. So <clears throat> even outdoor. He, he was doing okay, but I think we well, still got a million dollar contract. And it, it was, he probably he probably did a four year two hundred fifty thousand dollar contract yeah. with the Memphis Americans. 
Yeah, that, that sounds about right. I guess. So yeah, I was all indoor. Indoor was doing well. The problem with MISL was because you know, they had the crowds. I mean, famously, they were outflowing a lot of hockey and basketball markets. The problem was they were paying salaries like they had a TV contract. And the one thing they forgot was while they may have been outflowing those other teams in the arenas, they weren't getting anywhere, anywhere near the TV money the NBA and NHL got. Even then, when the NBA wasn't really getting much at all. And and as a result, you know, they 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 they, they couldn't. Staying, paying you know, competitive salaries. So, so, but the MISL paid well. Uh, so, I, Ricky Davis made a, he made more with St. Louis than he did with the Cosmos. And and when when Mayor talked about a million dollar contract, I guarantee it was in part. Yeah, that 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 seems to make a little more sense, especially kind of where what the timeline was on that. Um, did I mean, you just as a side note? I think the big the big American contract. Messi signed a one year deal for hundred thousand and seventy eight, and that was considered. Unbelievable for an American player. Yeah. So uh, even even in the Ricky Davis, you know, things like that, Americans were getting paid that league. Yeah. Yeah. No. That, yeah. That seems to make sense. Did you Did you end up sticking around for the in the NSL Legends game at at, at Frisco? No, I didn't. No, oh, okay. I, didn't, well, you know, I actually booked my flight back in February. I didn't know they were playing the game. Two, to be honest. Uh, I doubt I would have enjoyed it because I've been doing a lot of hockey alumni games, and in the end, it's it's really, it's it's uh, you know it's it's not what you would expect. So, yeah, yeah. I know the people who stayed had a good time, and of course the meet and greet afterwards is great. Yeah. But uh, no, I did not stick around for that. Okay, well I was gonna ask, and you can still kind of take a guess here, but if you had to pair your over thirty-five team versus the fiftieth Indiana Salt team, who would you predict to win that? <laughs> Well, it's, my over thirty-five team actually has an average age of about fifty-five. <laughs> so, so if we're talking about your average over thirty-five team, they're running those guys off the park. So I've learned now that I'm fifty-three, it's still playing in an over thirty-five league. That speed kills. So if it was an actual over, over thirty-five team, which means most of the players would be thirty-five and forty, they're wiping those guys off the bat. Uh, with my team, which is a little older. Um, it would probably be it'd probably be a good match, but in the end, you know, like I still have one working knee. Most of the, most of the guys on the NASL team are probably down to no working knee. So I think <laughs> that, I think that that would give us enough of an advantage <laughs> to win uh, one nil in, in a shootout. Okay, okay, yeah. Now that uh, okay, that's good. You know, I, I, you know, congratulations on winning that hypothetical match there. <laughs>